Radio and 91.7 FM in good old Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Marion Parker. You are just listening to The Magnificent Seven by The Clash, a favorite of today's guest. Chef Jorge Hernandez is the culinary director of the Mighty Union that oversees the Carpenter Hall and Hotel here in Austin, Subtle Lodge in Portland, Environmenti House in San Antonio, and Bullfat in Honolulu. Chef, welcome. It's truly a pleasure to have you, though I wish that we were together in the studio today. Yeah, me too. But this is great. It's great to be here. Thank you. For folks who are tuning in who may not be familiar with your incredible line of work, can you share a little bit about your culinary path with us? Sure. So I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, went to college at the University of Texas here in Austin. During that time, nerded out on books like Harold McGee and Anthony Bourdain and kind of fell in love with cooking and started doing it in my free time just to balance out my, my other studies found that I, I loved it. Uh, I loved the vehicle and the ability to use science and history and cultural elements as well through food. Ended up going to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. There I met Jose Andres and Ruben Garcia of Think Food Group in Washington, D.C. And that was kind of my entry into Spanish avant-garde cooking. Jose pretty much convinced me to move to Washington, D.C. instead of going to Spain to study. And I ended up staying with him for almost over 12 years off and on in Washington, wow. D.C. at uh, two of his restaurants, the Tinya, a Greek, Turkish, and Lebanese restaurant, and uh, Mini Bar, his small tasting avant-garde restaurant, where I've held different positions from the R&D team to the head chef and sous chef. Worked my way up from an intern spot. And in between, spent some time here in Austin opening key restaurant, Paul Key. Yeah, and this last year, a good friend, Andrew Knowlton, let me know that uh, the Mighty Union was looking for someone to head up a pretty ambitious project in San Antonio. And that was kind of always my dream to come back home. And it was just kind of an offer I couldn't refuse in my personal journey. Pretty lucky I've been able to open, well, I don't know how many restaurants with Jose and the team. And then now with the Mighty Union as well, we're staying pretty ambitious. That's great. Why now in your career did you feel like it was time for you to go home? I think partially because I wanted my family, my, my sisters and my brothers and my nieces to have a little bit more of an understanding of what I do. <laughs> um, you know, my, I think my, my parents only got to eat at Minibar once because it's kind of a hard reservation to get. I think they saw how hard I was working and saw the team in, in interviews and newspaper clippings and knew it was something special. And I, I love that about food. I love that food can be so thoughtful and cerebral and emotive. And the chance to do that in my hometown, that was just the pinnacle for me. Where we're opening Barramendi House is probably about half a mile away from where I went to high school, San Antonio. Even now, like doing our site visits while we're under construction, it, it feels right. 
this desire to be back in a place that kind of fed my desire to want to be a cook to begin with. Yeah, it's coming full circle, and it's a great time to be back in San Antonio, too. I just feel like the culinary world there has just also exploded and expanded and grown so much. So it definitely feels like a good time for you to be there. And then COVID hits. And we've all heard the stories of how people have been affected in various ways. But I'm curious, how has it impacted you and, in fact, leading a team during a time like this? I would imagine that a lot of it is pretty similar to other people's experiences. We were already going through some transition here, but we had teammates that were re-looking at whether or not they wanted to be in restaurants and be outward-facing in hospitality. And that real concern for them was something that made us rethink what our, the viability of our model was. For me, my entire career has been, at least at Minibar, has been a chef directly in front of a guest and sharing everything that they have with them. So to be able to think that we could do that just through takeout food or limited seating was pretty scary. And we made it a point to move purposefully and intentionally and slow. Our dining room here still isn't fully open. We'll do that when it feels right for our guests and our team. And uh, like everybody else, we're, we're taking it as it comes and trying to plan and replan. So in that sense, it truly did feel like you were doing a new opening. I think I've done probably 16 openings in my career, and those are really stressful. You're trying to rebuild a team and retrain and figure out how you're going to do things and say what you want to say. And I think with COVID, it's kind of forced us to look at who we are at a fundamental level and we, what we want our food to say, how to provide an experience and keep people feeling safe and comfortable and do it in a way that can uh, sustain our team and the business long term. How do you keep your team uplifted during this time? By cooking our asses off. <laughs> to tell you the truth, at least for the chef team in the kitchen, it's been about trying to cook things that make us happy and that we think will make other people happy. And that's been part of the fun lately. We've kind of revisited some of the food that we've been doing and trying to make it to more cultural or historical elements that I see in Texas cuisine, which was a big part of my journey when I was at Key. So with a cook team, it is hard because we can get in there and get, get our hands dirty and have some fun that way. The other thing that we found was that during quarantine and then during as we slowly started reopening, we started with a really small core team and we were all doing all the jobs. We were turning down hotel rooms. We were answering calls at the front desk, running room service up for the first time in my career, covering shifts by ourselves. It allowed us to, again, really appreciate what the other departments in the hotel had been doing, what their roles are. So it's definitely made us a tighter-knit team. My appreciation level for my restaurant general manager is just so incredibly high. Being able to truly knock down that bridge between front of the house and back of the house has been one of the positive things that we've seen through this process because we are 100% all willing to help each other. I know there's so much like negative stuff that's happening right now, but you know, finding these moments where we can feel grateful and, and learn something and grow, I think, is so important. Well, we're going to take a quick music break, and we'll be right back.
Just Radio on Co-op 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Miriam Parker, and I'm chatting with Chef Jorge Hernandez, the Culinary Director for the Mighty Union. You were just listening to a Stuffy Turkey by Telonius Monk, fitting for Thanksgiving coming up in a few weeks. Chef, this has been a year where we're seeing a lot of chefs and folks in the industry rally and protest advocate, and they feel as though chefs by nature want to help others. But this year, the effort seems to have exploded externally, internally, whether it's like supporting the medical community or helping fellow uh, coworkers. What do you think will be the lasting impacts for our industry? The lasting impact that you'll see in the chef community is one that's been building for a while. And it's the idea that chefs have to be engaged in their community, that they cannot afford to just sit back in their kitchen. And I think you've seen that already, especially in towns like Austin projects like the Mike and Sherry project that Sam Hellman Mass is with. I think of the work that Fiore Tedesco of Loco de Oro is doing, making sure that we're feeding frontline workers, or Kevin Fink at Emmer and Rye. These are chefs that they have built their business models about being neighborhood restaurants engaged in a community. And I think what you've seen is something that my mentor, Jose Andres, used to say, sometimes the best plan is just to start cooking. And that was his start with World Central Kitchen, which is an organization that's dear to my heart, obviously. And the idea was that, all right, chefs know how to identify a problem and create a solution in the moment and act on it. It's the nature of what we do when a delivery doesn't come in right or when a reservation changes or when we have dietary restrictions. We're really good at looking at what's going on and making adjustments, the experimental nature of cooking. So I think what we've seen is that chefs can look at what's going on in their community and say, hey, at very least, I can make people some food. That's pretty powerful. And I think the subsequent kind of response to that is that by going out into your community and feeding people food, you realize that it's not difficult to engage with that community and that you really are a part of it and that it's appreciated. Obviously, I applaud the efforts of so many restaurants and chefs doing it here. And it is on the back of chefs like Chef Jose and others that have said, hey, we're good at doing this work. Let us do it. And I think that's a very humble standpoint to have, but also a very powerful one. And there definitely seems to be just a fundamental interconnectivity. It's like we're all realizing how connected we are just with the basics of food. In my day job, I get to see it firsthand. But thankfully, because of social media, everyone's getting a chance to see these moments. And I think it's so powerful. 
You mentioned that you you work with Jose and and World Central Kitchens, and you and your team have been busy this week, and you'll be very busy on Tuesday of next week. Can you share a little bit more about Chefs for the Pulse? Sure. The fundamental nature of it is that we can appreciate that people are giving up their time, taking their lunch break, going right after work to make sure that they vote, to make sure that their voices count. And a lot of people are giving up the ability to have a meal uh, to do that. As you know, in the United States, we don't have a federal holiday yet for elections. So people are needing to carve out that time. What we wanted to do, what Jose's idea was, at very least, let's make sure that people aren't having to choose between getting a meal and going out to vote. So what we've been doing here in Austin is just taking out really humble, simple sack meals that someone could eat, either while they're waiting in line or when they're done voting, just so that's not another excuse. How many meals do you think y'all will be giving people during this time? Total, we'll have put out, I don't know, maybe 1,200 just out of the carpenter. And I know there's other partners involved now. We're not a huge kitchen by any means. So for us to be able to put out 1,200 meals in a week, it's a pretty small team still, obviously makes me very happy. The little things that we can do, we're, we're really happy to try and do them. Well, I think it's incredible, and I've already signed up to volunteer to help <laughs> y'all's team on, on Tuesday because I just think it's such an incredible idea and, and a gift for others. For people who want to learn more about the initiative, Chefs for the Polls, is there a place that they can go to learn more information? The World Central Kitchen website, wck.org, they always have helpful information on how to either donate or get in touch with a local site. What I love about World Central Kitchen is it truly is chefs on the ground organizing. Literally on any given day, one member of the World Central Kitchen team is looking at the polling site maps and seeing, oh, there's a wait here, there's a line here, let's go there. It is kind of guerrilla tactic in some sense of what we're trying to anticipate what the needs are and going there. The best way to get involved would be to probably go through the website. Okay, great. Well, um, we'll definitely um, be adding that to the website as well. So we're going to take one more break and we'll be right back. Did you know that Co-op Radio has a press office? Every week when Austin public health officials brief city residents and members of local media organizations about the state of COVID-19 in Central Texas, Co-op volunteers are there asking questions that are important to you. Let your community radio station represent you by sending your questions for Austin public health officials to the Co-op COVID-19 community outreach team at covid19 at coop.org or by leaving a message for us at 512-710-5353. And we're back. You're listening to Hot Dish Radio on Co-op 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Miriam Parker. I'm chatting with Chef Jorge Hernandez, the culinary director for The Mighty Union, who oversees the Carpenter Hall and Hotel here in Austin, among other hotels and restaurants. So after November 3rd, you'll be back in the kitchen focusing on Carpenter Hall. So what's your vision for that new space in San Antonio? Our vision was to create a little village in downtown San Antonio. Veramendi House is a place that's steeped in history. Juan de Veramendi was one of the Spanish governors, and his initial governor's palace was right there on Houston Street in Soledad and encapsulated multiple city blocks. Now the hotel will encapsulate five separate buildings along the Riverwalk and Houston Street and Soledad Street. And the idea was to connect those buildings with a couple of courtyards that when you walk into those courtyards, walk into those buildings, you kind of feel transported a little bit like a little La Vita in downtown San Antonio. And the influences of the food will be ranging from the Mediterranean to Latin America, very much the foods that I love, but different projects. 
one restaurant that will be all live fire hearts cooking fired by some of my favorite rice dishes from the Iberian Peninsula, some meat dishes from South America and Mexico and everything kissed by smoke. And that's going to go out into a courtyard that's going to be very lively with a stage for music, small paleteria, so that in the daytime you could just take your kids and listen to music and have a paleta. Really excited about that. And then an all-day restaurant that we jokingly are saying that we want it to feel like if you were having a simple, humble lunch in either Paris or Lisbon or Madrid, but touched with the, obviously Texas influences. I think seeing all the different cultural influences that we have in South Central Texas to me has just been a godsend to how I envision food here. And it is a mix of that Criollo Spain, early New Spain versus Norteño influences versus the large Lebanese and Greek communities we have in San Antonio. I want it to touch on a, a little bit of everything, but feel cohesive through the feel of those courtyards and connecting those buildings together. It's a pretty unique space in the sense that it's one of the few places you don't see very often in Texas, buildings that are that close together that feel very tied together. So it does have that vibe, like kind of feel like you're in Europe a little bit. And, really in love with that kind of romantic feel of it so far. And, and we're still in excavation phase. I can't even wait to see what it's going to look like a year from now. It's on the Riverwalk. It is. Oh, my gosh, that's going to be beautiful. And there's something really beautiful and romantic about downtown San Antonio anyways. Yeah, I spent most of my time in high school studying at the downtown library. It feels like my backyard. So I'm I'm really excited to see so many restaurants going back there. Obviously, the Riverwalk has always been a big draw in San Antonio, but I think now, especially to see chefs like Stefan Bowers and Jason Dady kind of actively going back downtown, I think just an amazing time in San Antonio. Between downtown and Southtown, it feels like San Antonio is truly going to have kind of a star-studded restaurant community. I've been following you on Instagram for quite some time now, and one thing that always struck me were the moments where you would offer up words and inspiration to your team, and you shared it with others, so you know all of us were inspired by those words. I'm curious, what keeps you inspired? What keeps you going and passionate about what you do? Pretty much what you said, just in the reverse. I'm able to give advice to my teams because they feed me. Seeing young cooks work, learn, grow, that's what really keeps me excited. In my career, I don't know how many recipes or dishes I've worked on that you give to a young sous chef and they execute thousands of times in a given season. And what you realize is that they've learned more about your dish than you ever intended. And I think that that's such an amazing part about food. A recipe is just the starting point. And I've been so fortunate to work with so many young chefs as sous chefs and line cooks that have really taught me more about what I want to cook than I could ever do on my own. That's where keeping them motivated lies. Young cooks, they all want to be in charge of an R&D department and write menus and own their own restaurants. And I think the best thing that I can tell them is that do that well is making it a team effort and listening to feedback from all angles or dishwashers that would taste food and be like, chef, that's good. Literally getting feedback from every element of the team, that's what's inspiring. That's what keeps you going. I think the other part for me in my career that I've really loved is honestly seeing guests and interacting with them. I don't think I've ever worked in a closed kitchen. It's always been an open kitchen. And at Minibar, it was one guest, one chef. You had no place to hide. 
that can be intimidating, but also I think it can be such a strength in the sense that we're lucky enough to watch people enjoy the things that we create. That drives you. That's why we do this. We want people to feel good and be nourished. If you let go of that as a chef or you don't get to enjoy that, even just for a couple of moments each day, it makes the work really difficult. Beyond that, it's definitely the desire to be a part of a community. It's fun for me to have gone through my training and dishes that I've learned in Spain or in Scandinavia or elements I've learned from Japanese cooking and potentially serve them to somebody that's never had anything like that before. That's really exciting for me. And to do it in a way that makes it feel still comfortable and still approachable, I think, is the challenge. What are some powerful takeaways that you have learned from your career? What are things that have kind of shaped you and, and, and helped you grow as a chef? I think the first and foremost is that cooking can tell a story, that you should understand what you want that story to be via cooking. When I was a young chef, it was, I'm going to make this dish with red snapper, and it's going to have this element and this element to it, and uh, I want to use this technique. What I learned from Jose and the team was we don't try to think of a finalized dish when we start creating. We try to think of a concept that's going to allow us to tell a story, and then we find techniques that are going to fit that. And that's a very avant-garde, Michelin-level, I guess, philosophy to have, but what Jose was always able to do so well was apply that to restaurants that served a thousand people a day uh, to really humble dishes. So I think the idea of, of concept of a dish, of what you want the dish to say, to me has been the strongest thing that I've learned in my career and what, what I still try to do when I write menus. We try to get into the kitchen and start cooking, and then we let the results tell us what the dish should be. Sometimes that means the story changes and evolves. Sometimes start giving it to a guest and they hone in on one element that's like, wow, this is really special. And sometimes you realize that that one special element is no longer just about that one dish, but it's a concept that you can carry through. And so in really ideal worlds, that one dish can spawn 20 others. And I think that's about listening to your team and the technique, but also taking the time to reflect on what you're doing and not just do to do. It's a hard balance to do. and It's a luxury to be able to do it that way. I just want to thank you so much for your time. And for folks who want to keep up with you and what's happening and what's going on at Carpenter Hall, where can they learn more about your work? We just redid our website here for the Carpenter's Hall, so that will be active with new things. We always have a bit of a social media presence, obviously. With reopening, I, I haven't been posting quite as much, but we definitely try to when we can. Before we leave, I just wanted to mention something cool that you and your team are doing for co-op. Y'all are offering a night stay at the Carpenter Hotel, where there'll be a lovely bottle of wine waiting as well as a gastrificate to pick up a picnic to take with them on a canoe adventure of Lady Bird Lake. And all people have to do is donate $25 to Co-op Radio between November 2nd and the 9th to Enters of Win, and I will contact the winner on November 10th. So thank you to you and your team for supporting Co-op Radio. We're very grateful. So yeah, we can't so wait to have now. you. Appreciate it. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, I'm going to leave you with Turntables by Janae Monet. If you are looking to see change in our country, there's only one way to do that is to be the change. So make sure you go out and vote tomorrow. You may see Chef or myself handing you a taco. Until next time, thank you. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive.
To be a pessimist means that you agree that human life is an academic matter. So I'm forced to be an optimist. I'm forced to believe that we can survive whatever we must survive. The table about to turn. The table about to turn. The table about to turn. Yeah. Uh, I've been flipping through my timeline. Trying to get my mind right. My city cried out. I got to cool down, but I'm under pressure. Looking with my Crisco. Look at where my fist go. A renegade when I'm in a rage. I got to cool down, but I'm under pressure. I keep my hands dirty, my mind clean. Got a new agenda with a new dream. I'm kicking out the origin. Liberation, elevation, education. America, you a lie. But the whole world about to testify. I said the whole world about to testify. And the table's about to, the, the table's about to. Yeah. 